Welcome to the Axis Effect podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. This is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment and your host for the Access Effect. And I'm super excited today with my good friend, Steve Miller, like what, three, four-time Olympic swim coach, author, competitive coach, uh, amazing person all around. I'm so excited you're here today. I'm so excited to be here talking to you as always. We should probably just record every time we hop on the phone and okay, speak to each other. So but, funny. You know. We were just chatting. I'm like, stop talking. I didn't hear it. We were not we're on a podcast in like five minutes. Like I, every conversation with us, we should have a monthly ongoing, just 20 minute drop on everything. It's so funny. I actually love mm-hmm. talking to you, except for you and another dear friend, David Nurse owes me a Spartan team pretty soon. Don't think I'll let you off the hook on that. Coming in 2023. It's coming. Oh, we are in 2023. It is so funny. But if okay. I just act like it's next year, then it might be next year. So, <laughs> Okay, so I so fucking love this. Absolutely love it. I always love talking to you, you know, that honor off the record. But let's talk first of all. Okay, well, this is what I we were just chatting about, what I love about talking to you. It's not just leadership. It's not just coaching, your keynote speaking. And I'm excited because you are speaking at the Sherm conference to all the HR people in Vegas in June, but your book just came out. And I know we've been chatting a lot about leadership and books, but shock the world came out a few months ago. And I am going to admit guilty, but because you're my friend, I'm going to be honest. I did not get through the whole book, but I love that the book is about not just leadership and coaching and how to be better and how to push yourself for optimal performance. And this is what I love about you. And I think I'm going to just say it because I ran into another website with your exact name and he said he's a coach, but it has his photo, his name, his photo. And it was so ego-driven. What I love about everything you're doing, you're all about client facing, helping the other person, not about self-branding. I mean, so you are careercompetitor.com, which I love, but like, like the reason I think why I love you is because you came from being an athletic swim coach for the Olympics into knowing how to drive and push people to be a better version of themselves through like your book, your speaker ops, like everything about you. And I just sound like a broken record because every time I talk about you, I always say how amazing you are. But like, what's going on with you? Like, this, this <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt you while you just giving me my flowers. I mean, I appreciate it so much. I just, um, I just like, seriously, like, you know, like, so I just did this big post on LinkedIn. And I just this huge post if you didn't see it. And it was all about leadership. I talked to people, CEOs in sports, tech, entertainment, every day, all day. We have the podcast. We're in season nine. And there's very few people who just, there's something about them. They just don't show up. There's a lot of people we talk to leadership, but true leaders, they're not there to show up. They actually show up. The ones that show up, that take that 15, 20 minutes for coffee, tea, people on our podcast that are present, that actually show up and have all the characteristics of a true leader. Like I see and talk to a lot of people, but there's very few who I actually like so inspired by because they actually show up and walk the walk. And I think that's why I always like, I'm such a big fan of yours because you're one of those few CEOs who I think when you first met, like you just showed like leadership publicly, you know, you fail publicly, you do everything publicly, you own your own leadership. And I think that's why you and I probably chat so much 
offline and get mad that we didn't put it on a podcast. <laughs> and I just did this whole huge thing on a big post. And I don't really post a lot about that. But I, this is what I love about you because you actually are publicly showing like your leadership and you can't really deny it when you're Olympic swim coach. And I like, so like this book just came out and I'm so sorry. I didn't read the whole thing, but I'm super happy. I have an autographed book, but you just said you wrote the foreword after the book. And then you realized the book wasn't about competition and about leadership. There was more to it than that. Like where, yeah. was, what is that, that like I'm missing then. Yeah. And it, it was the introduction. I mean, you know, I wrote, you know, the, the book's title shocked the world. And the way I, I constructed the book is I, I put it into three different phases, chapters one to three, four to six and uh, seven to nine. The, those are the three main phases of the book. And the, the first phase of the book is all about personal development, inward development. And the second phase of the book is much more about how do you take that personal development and start to transition into professional performance and then the final phase of the book is very much about how do we now execute? How do we execute within this professional world in a way where we don't lose sight of all that individual inward investment that we've already made? And, and you talk about leadership. For me, that's a huge part of leadership is to your point, Sarah, like, sure, show up. And, and I say it all the time. It's like, if you're just speaking to be heard and if you're just showing up to be seen, then you're not getting it. You're not getting leadership. You know, those are just practices of leadership. Those aren't reasons to lead. Those aren't why people follow you. They're just behaviors of leadership. And, yeah, and so, but, but that's most of the people we see every day sure. on social, they show up, they don't show up. Like, and I, when people are on there with all the memes about leadership and making somebody better when you left them, then you came into them and all the bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. But then if you really know them, you know, it is about the self-esteem issue, but they're not true to the core of their what they're posting. They want people to make them think they're this person they're not. And I hate that I'm starting to see that for the first time and certain people that I always directly knew they're a leader. But now I'm thinking, what are you doing? Because you're sure. social representative of who you are and you're not quite like we'll return every phone call, always contact people. You know, they want to contact you. But then you blew me off and five phone calls and messages of the past six months. So are you really, truly who you say you are? I mean, I'm just, I'm not trying to break it down, but like, I'm trying, my point is, I do love hearing this from you because you're spot on mm. what you're talking about right now. Right. And that's the, you know, the thing for me with leading has always been, what's the impact? How are you measuring the impact? Yeah. And so if, if it's about the impact then you understand that you need to show up and be seen and be heard. But that's not why you're showing up. And that's yeah. not why you're speaking, you know. So for me, that's a big part of my journey with leadership and what I've come to understand about it. But uh, specific to the book, once I actually wrote the nine main chapters of it, I wrote a 10th chapter just to kind of bring the book to a close. You know, there's 10 different shocks within the book. And, and then yeah. I went back and wrote the introduction. And I realized that, you know, the full title of the book is Shock the World, A Competitor's Guide to Realizing Your Potential. And you know, when you look at that title, this is about, oh, if you read it, then you get to realize your potential. And, and yes, the book is that. But at the same time, it is a perfect way for a leader to look and think, okay, if I'm going to facilitate the realization of potential in those that I lead, this is a great tool for me to be referencing while I go through that process. And, and I've come to discover that this is what's cool about the demographic that's read the book. I've got a bunch of you know, 18, 20 year olds, yeah. you know, th early 30s, and they read the book and they read it for them. They read it for them in terms of like, I want to realize my potential. And then I've had people that are in their 40s, in their 50s, even in their 70s, read this book 
and they come around it is like, okay, I'm kind of well on my way to realizing my potential. There's not much I can really do to change that at this point. However, I can look through this through the lens of how can I impact the realization of potential in those that I'm leading? And that's been really cool is getting the feedback on the book from those two very different perspectives based on the demographic that's reading it. I just find it fine. And I love about this because, you know, you, this book came to fruition with you because you've dealt with athletes. And I know you mentioned in the book, you have uh, Brooks Curry, who literally shocked the world and was a, made a spot on the U.S. Olympic swim team. And I know you were an Olympic swim coach and you've seen people kind of, I mean, we all see the Olympics and athletes, they're the underdogs. They come out of nowhere, they, their perseverance, tenacity, and they just shock everybody by placing, you know, or they're on the team, on the field, in the water, whatever Olympics or sports. And was that kind of like, did like Brock give you kind of that, like, oh my God, I need to write a book because look, you shocked the world with your talent, your perseverance. Because I know you said that. And I know when I talked to you, we talked a lot about leadership and how athletes just make better leaders in business because they just have that different mentality of pushing forward. Was that the main reason all of your like seeing all these athletes that brought you not just to the book to realize, but to all your corporate executive training and everything? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the book was born out of, the very journey that I went on with that one individual in in the sense that when he told me he wanted to make the U.S. Olympic team, he had no right wanting that goal because in terms of where he was in his career, he wasn't anywhere near close enough. But wait, but wait, wait, why? Okay, I'm going to hit you off there. Why did he not have a right? Because that's the whole thing about being a leader, not... Right. Your goals are attainable as long as you do what you need to do. Is it... Be, I mean, okay, you're an Olympic swim coach, given the swimming... I know you have a better eye for talent when it comes to athletes sure. and in the water. Was it because he wasn't focused and showing the leadership skills at the time? Is that what kind of made you raise your eyebrows on that? Or was no, and, and that's the thing. What, what, I, what I was sort of saying is like, in the eyes of 99.9% .9 of the world, he had no right to sort of be thinking that way because in terms of the, the natural development in the sport of swimming, he was too far away from considering the amount of time he had to achieve that, he was too far away. However, and I've said this in a few speeches since I've uh, started doing keynotes, is that he, he was just fortunate that he walked into the right room and shared that with the right person in me. You know, Because yeah. for me, I did see that talent. And I said to him in that moment, if we pull this off, we're going to shock the world. And sure, I was speaking to specifically the swimming world, but that's what this book is about, is that yes, the page said that the front cover says shock the world, and you can take that literally if you want, or you can make that specific to your world and just say, listen, my world may be tiny. You may have a really small world that you sort of operate within, and that is fine. That is okay. And I joke all the time, like the world of swimming is a tiny, tiny world when you start to compare it to some of the other professional sports out there. But the fact is that deep down, we all have our own version of a world that we operate within. And sometimes we actually get discouraged to go after our potential within that world because we're too busy comparing our potential to something outside of that world, you know? And so if we actually focus a little bit more closer to home and say, hey, what is my capability within this world that I operate within, then maybe you can actually put yourself in a position to get that promotion that you hadn't been necessarily thinking about, to own that company that you hadn't necessarily been considering. All those sort of things are possible now that you're seeing it through a lens that is specific to you and you're starting to view yourself within this world that 
is your world, not the world. It's it's your world. And that's what I love about the book is getting people to realize we all have our own version of that. Yeah. So it's kind of like you always have to look inward before it's like that look inward before you go outward. Sure. You know? And I think yeah. that's always a big deal. Two people just want to push, but they've really got to look inward and realize what is it. You know, I always say like with this whole, like we're so past pandemic language right now, but in order to like, you know, come back, you got to look inward before you come back, you know, and go back out there. But like, and I feel like, I mean, this is a whole thing with pushing forward, looking inward and shocking the world. It's like you have the training, you have the skill set to do it. But I do think maybe a lot of people and everything you said is so spot on, Steve, but it's also, it is the coaching it is the advisors. I mean, I'm just looking at the angle of athletes with you, you know, sure. have that sure. same drive, that same what you do and what people need to do to succeed and lead is kind of the same thing you preach and you trained athletes on. Yeah. And and you said it at the beginning too, with just my philosophy on leadership is I'm, I'm the first person to stand in front of a room and say, Hey, listen, you, you might be attending my workshop and I might be considered yeah. an expert in this particular field. But what I'm telling you right now isn't necessarily the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. There's always going to be adaptations. There's always going to be versions of the way in which I'm doing it, that I'm preaching it, that you can sort of take from that and make it your own and pull from different influences. And as leaders, the sooner we can realize that we don't have it all figured out, the better leader we can become, you know, because we can actually start to bridge those conversations with other people that also know that they don't have it all figured out, but they're too worried to come to a leader that's not, if the leader's not presenting that, then they're always going to feel as though there's this brick wall between them and their leader where they can bridge a conversation of, hey, listen, I want to talk to you about this thing that I don't have figured out because I know if I come in and have this conversation, I'm going to be met by someone who gets that, who understands that we're still trying to figure this out together. So that's the beautiful thing about the world of sport is that no matter how successful you get, even when you are the best of the best, there's still something to work on. There's still something to get better at. And so often within the business world, people get into positions of leadership and they they feel the need to present perfection, that they are perfection, that they live perfection, and that if no one else is living to perfection, how can they possibly relate to that leader? And we all know that perfection is quite frankly not possible. So again, I, I even allude to that at the very end of the book, I'm like, you've read this whole book and now you're prepared to go and realize your potential. And I'm so excited for you. However, that doesn't mean the very first time you go and try and realize your potential, that it's just going to all fall into place. You may get slapped in the face. You may hit a brick wall. But the beauty of the book is that whenever you hit an adversity like that, whether that be the first time you try or the 70th time you try, you can go back to any part of the book and regroup regroup, restart, reframe how you go about it and know that every time you go through that process, you're constantly pushing that level, that awareness, that understanding of how you can next go about that. So you do in fact realize your potential the next time around. So I used to have this saying, synchronon, which is Latin, for without others, there's no to which compare the best. It's in Latin, for, that's what Latin is. Without another to compare, you can never compare the best without another. I always use that word synchronon because that's exactly sums up in Latin what you talked about. But like my big thing is because of that, you know, people, like you said, they have to strive to be the best. They've got to always compare themselves. But I do feel like then they just decide that they just start leading by their ego at that mm-hmm. point, which is never a good thing because people just blow holes in that right and left. But I'm always a big thing. Don't lead a team, a company by your ego. 
it's never good. I mean, I literally have, I say that to my a client or somebody twice a week. Lily, my two things twice a week, and like religiously, never lead by your ego. Drop the bullshit. Drop your ego. Be authentic. Be humble. But you cannot lead a conversation, a relationship, a meeting by your ego. That I'm like always be like own your leadership. Don't be afraid to fail because I always believe. One of the things we talk about a lot, there is not failure. There is successes in your failures. And if you're a really good leader, you will see the successes through your failures. I don't see failures as failures. I'm like, that's a success because now I'm seeing what I did wrong, what I can improve on, how I could be better, you know, what needs to be done to help me, those around me. And that's just going to push you forward into better revenues, better teams, a better person. If you don't understand the failures and you can't move and pivot, that's successful. If I screw up, but I fixed it and it was a huge success, that was a success. That wasn't a failure. That was a success in the failures. It just took me a little bit to flatten it out to realize where I could rise out of it. So I don't see failures as failures. I see them as successes that rise out of the failures because then you have a better perspective of what worked and didn't work. Right. And, and it's the human element. Everything that you're talking about here is we're talking about human to human. And it's why, you know, EQ, emotional intelligence is now just so big and so sought after within leadership. And there's even companies now that are doing assessments for EQ before to actually filter out who they're going to hire, you know, and put into positions of leadership. And, and so that ability to sort of check in with the human element that comes with leadership has never been more prevalent than it is today. And I think that it's come so naturally to me that people say, you know, that you make it look easy. And, and I do. But a big part of that is that one of my greatest abilities in life is to put myself in the shoes of the person that I'm talking to. Like I, and I, I spoke to this actually on a, on another podcast recently is that with leaders, we're starting to try to understand this concept of empathy so we can lead better so we can have greater impact. And that's great. But sadly, a lot of empathy or the approach towards empathy is stopping at putting yourself in someone else's shoes because the key part here is not only do you put yourself in someone else's shoes, but having done that, you then go back into your own shoes and then you act. And, and, and I think that is the key here is that you're taking that information, having put yourself maybe in the shoes of those in the immediate level beneath you, or maybe the people at the bottom line of the company, whatever it is, you're putting yourself in all of their shoes, but then you're having the bravery to go back into your own shoes and act as the leader that they need you to be. And that is what empathy is. And I think that's where we're slowly moving, but it's it's coming with resistance. And, and that's, you know, that's like anything with any kind of change. But um, I love having those conversations with other leaders and how I can coach them to better, you know, get a grip of what that looks like, because it's not an easy process. It's not a natural thing, and but it is a human element that needs to be considered. I think that's what I do love about you on career competitors and stuff, because you people are pivoting, especially the past year or two. They are, you know, they the big what was that big resignation? I just thought that was such a bullshit thing to talk about. I never talked about it. People just realize what makes them happy. Being at home gave them a whole different perspective of what the world and life is about and what made them happy. So they, you know, left big jobs, did startups. Some of them are back in the big job game. Some of them left big industries, sports, tech, entertainment you know, that were not a big deal. I've took a year or two off, took monster, huge jobs that was pushing them way above and beyond out of their um comfort zone. Cause you can't, you know, they I mean, they're moving and shifting to the extreme 
you know, just to get, you know, to grow their careers and stuff. And I feel like when people are doing this, it is harder when you get to a bigger company, a bigger position, your job expands, life expands to understand, like you said, how do you fill those shoes? How do you walk into those shoes when you place a bigger role, the empathetic nature, sympathetic nature? How do you really manage and lead a team, a company of hundreds of thousands of people, big, you know, or down to small teams without doing collateral damage? Because we all have to make our decisions every day because we all make easy decisions. Let's just be honest. We all make easy decisions. That's great. It's making the hard decision that really defines a true leader. If I make a hard decision and I have to cut you or cut a team member or move right, not left and affects revenues or a project or a client, I do owe it to you that empathetic if I'm on the other side that make you feel like, look, I made a decision. It may have been an asshole decision, but you didn't understand why I made it. So you never walk away feeling that you weren't valued, you weren't important, and it might've affected you negatively, but I would never want you to walk away feeling like you weren't, you were undervalued and respected because I made a decision that hurt you. I made a decision because I needed to. And it's unfortunate, but you should never walk away feeling collateral damage because I didn't care enough about the relationship or your feelings over my own ego and like that to me is an important role of being a good leader and I think I'm not saying you know we all are flawed we all have to grow we all have to get better but I feel like that is something that is overlooked to its core with a lot of CEOs and a lot of people where I do think your book and everything you're talking about is a critical point to being better not just as a CEO but as a person to get the respect you need from your teams. No doubt. No doubt. And it's funny as I go through sort of the branding process of my business now, which is very much growing and and, in its second year now, you know, for me, the name career competitor, people see that name and they hear that name and it's like, oh, so you're just like a career coach. You're just trying to get people just to to win in their careers. And it's just like, it's, it's actually kind of a play on words in the sense of I want people to make a career of being competitive and the greatest competition we all face is against ourselves. And, and the, the earlier we sort of realize and recognize that, the more successful, the more competitive we can be in all aspects of life. And that's the beautiful part of everything I get to do today is that when I was in sport, I could have these opportunities with athletes to go beyond the sport, talk a little bit about life, give them some principles to live life by. But we were in such a you know high intensity environment that you you had to get better at the sport. You had to get you had to become a faster swimmer, and that was the focus. Whereas now I get to work towards this thing and this concept that I call the optimal self within my work. And the beauty is that as we strive towards certain business performance or individual goals with the people that I'm working with, at certain points there's these awesome checkpoints that come really naturally where we get to stop and just check in and say, how is this affecting you as the person? And how how is you, the person, affecting this performance? And, and, and there's this really nice space then to coach to in terms of helping someone process, okay, listen, I am moving where I want to with my business, but there's this maybe this human element that I'm not giving enough attention to that were I to, all this stuff that I'm working towards in my business is going to truly take off. And it's this individual in a private resistance, maybe that's actually preventing someone from making this external part of their life really start to take off. And I love those moments. I joke about it in the book, like I call them the gaps. And when I identify those gaps with a client or as I used to with an athlete, I just grab them by the hand and jump on in. It's just like, let's discuss the gap. Let's, this is a gap. And the, and the beauty of being a human is that we all have them. And 
we become better at everything that we do in our lives when we embrace the gaps and we just swim around in there, get familiar with it, and then we can actually start to overcome it. Do you think a lot of it on the competitive side is because, and, I, and this is the issue I have with a lot of my clients, like they get so obsessed with the comp, like so obsessed with the competition, they lose focus. They, they, they can't see through the fray on their own trajectory because they're so concerned with what's the competition doing? Why do they first the market? Why do they get this? Why this? I think like, that's when you look inward. Focus on what you, your goals, your value. Don't be so obsessed with the competition. Yes, we need to keep an eye on our competition because we always want to grow and make sure, you know, like you said, be competitive, be better, strive to be better. But I feel like some people get too obsessive on the competition where they lose focus on where their own improvements need to be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you brought up sort of principles there, you know, like individual principles. And I think I actually have my own core values that I live by. And the beauty of my core values is that they can go in any direction. You know, the consistency, availability, thoroughness and engagement. Those are my my core values. And with that, I can apply that concept towards yeah. me, me, the man, me, the husband, me, the father. And I can also do it to me, the CEO, me, the guy that's running the workshop, me, the speaker, like everything about those core values allow me to be incredibly consistent across every aspect of my life. And, and that's what I like about the optimal self that I work with with clients is that if you do that right, if you invest in that version of yourself correctly, then you get to show up in all aspects of life as that person. You don't have to you don't have to adjust every time you go into a different room. Oh, this is who I am now. Oh, this is who I am now. Oh, this is who I am now. And that's the elements of leadership that are really being sought after now is how do you get a leader who's the same person that they are at home as they are in the office and without either of those being, you know, at a detriment to anybody around them. And, and I believe that's possible. Some leaders will hear this and be like, I can't be the same guy that's running the boardroom as I am, you know, making dinner at night. It's like, I get it. Like, I understand that you can't see yourself in that type of position, but I'm here to encourage you that those worlds can potentially be so but, much but, but, closer. But, but why would you not be? That's being authentic. That's being real. If I'm a certain sure. boardroom, no, I'm not going to come home and be an asshole and treat my boyfriend like he's some, you know, like across the, you know, right. table of me with illegal, whatever. But I also, I am who I am. Ethics, integrity, I'm still the same person. Yes, you may be, you know, a little bit more shielded because it's professional, you know, but yep. you're still the same human being. Like, so this is okay. So I did this study for a client a long, long time ago. I first started my agency, like literally the right as I started my agency, left a big agency, my last big big, big project with the other agency was the Bruise and Battered Brands survey. It was like the 2000, oh my God, what year are we in right now? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Okay, I got to think that one through. I think 11, 12, I don't know, 10, 2010, 2009. It was the Bruise and Battered, it was like the, the biggest survey, marketing intelligence survey, Bruise and Battered Brands. And one of the big questions was, as a CEO, are you the characteristics of your brand or is your brand emulate the characteristics of who you are as a leader. And we did the whole bruise and batter brand, like, you know, Jan Soderstrom, CMO at 3Com, John Lawakano, CMO at Sun. I mean, we we went through Agnieszka Weekly, we went through Larry Ellis, we went through all the big, big, like, like the, like, founding tech, like our future of tech back then. And it was like when Carly Fioroni at HP, that's when HP just tanked and like with the number one CEO that did the worst job at branding her company, all these bad things were said about her. But then it came down to, as a CEO, as a leader, are you your brand or is your brand you? Public mm. figure say. And we did this huge survey. I know Carly Fioroni 
did not win high mark at the time at HP because people felt she was running HP into the ground. Everything she was doing was all messed up, but that's who she is in person. And that brand, that horrible brand image and branding, everything about the lack of ethos of the company, because that's who she is personally. But then it became a, are you representative of your brand or is your brand emulating who you are as a leader? And we did this huge survey, tons of press, had big names. And then the conversation just stopped. I mean, you know, bubble burst, everybody moves on. Leadership is always a continuing conversation. They come and they go and we're always following it. But I feel like the conversation of bruised and battered brands and how your brand, how it resonates, the perception of your brand, good, better, and different, is that a representation of you in or out of the office, to your point, boardroom in a kitchen cookie, or is it the other way around? It's almost a borderline like philosophical question at this point. Like, well, I asked you. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and well, I'm, I'm saying like for me, for me, when I, when I think about the brand that I show up with each and every day, you know, I, I was perfect example. I, I was speaking just earlier today with a former client and she was checking in with me, a couple of things that she had going on. I, I just, you know, wished her well and all that kind of thing. And she said a few very nice things about me. And she even went further and said how she loves that, you know, the career competitor brand you simply cannot disconnect where Steve ends and the and the brand begins. And wow. and, and for me, that is that is a uh, a test. I joke with her. I was like, "Can you type that out in a testimonial?" It's pretty damn good testimonial, right here. And, and so, but anyway, the the point being there, there's two parts that I take away from that. One is is obviously I, I appreciate that my brand comes through so naturally in terms of just me coming through the brand. But secondly, it's the fact that the proof is right there. Like I'm speaking to a former client. I'm giving insight to a former client. Like she wasn't paying me for that phone call today because I give a shit about how she's doing. I, I really care. I really care. And and for me, for me, it, that's the beauty of like, that's a perfect example of what we're talking about here is that the ability to care and and not just say that you care, just show that you care. And And, and for me, I can do that as a husband and a father, and I can do that as a business owner. And and, and that's the beauty of, of something like that. And so anyone listening to what I was saying earlier, that I don't get it. I don't see how you can be the same person in the boardroom, same person at home. It's like that right there. Like, how much do you really care? Don't just tell your employees that you care. Show them, show them that you care and give examples of how you care and be able to sort of recognize those examples in what you do each and every day to where when you go home and you're showing that same care towards your family, you're not having to flick a switch on and flick a switch off every time you walk in and out the door. Like it should be the same switch that gets switched on the moment your feet hit the ground when you get out of bed in the morning, you know? And so for me, like that is what I enjoy about what I do and why my brand is so consistent with who it is I am at my core. That's because you show up. You're not showing off because you have the book, you have all this, you're showing up. You are who yeah. you are. But I do think it is a good topic. And I feel like people kind of brush over the reason why brands fail, the reason why they may or may not lead well. You got to, like you, to your point, look inward. Your company is a representation of who you are. And you are walking and talking of the brand and the ethos of your company. So it's like that chicken or egg syndrome. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think you are an extension of your brand at your company if it's if you're leading it. And if it doesn't look good and there's outward stuff that you're not happy with your company, you got to step back and look inward. Wait, this brand is me and I am this brand. And it's hard to tell which one is patterning after the other. But after time, 
I start to see a very clear definition, alienation of you and your brand. I don't care how big or small. I don't care if you take over 100,000 people, you know, in 80 countries, sports, tech, entertainment, it doesn't matter. You are either going to end up emulating the brand of that company when you step into it. And if that company is not doing well, you're going to end up being an ass and towards the end anyways, because that's just every day. It's just ingrained if this is what we're doing. Or if you're really a good leader or you're not really who you say you are, you're not showing up, like you said. Talk to your employees, not even your employees. In general, people in general, friends, mm-hmm. vendors, your company's going to start emulating how you are. And I, I just, it's, it's interesting that people are always just like, well, no, that's not true. Like you're, you're this example. I am this way at work, but that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you got to kind of question that. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's those domains, those spaces that we walk into it's like, how much are we having to adapt to the space? You know, and, and I think it's okay for us in, in certain ways and certain times to have to adapt. But at the same time, if we're having to just completely alter who we are each and every time we walk into a room, it's exhausting. It's just exhausting as a well, leader. I don't know how, I don't know how you can even keep that up. You it's know? corporate culture. Can you right. fit the corporate? And you don't know if you fit into a corporate culture until you're a good six months, a year in. You're going to go right. through the easy times are easy. You can fit into any corporate culture. It's super easy. But when you're making hard decisions with somebody else's, you got to then figure out and step up, show up and realize if you can't blend in that corporate culture for the good, within a year or so, you're going to find out if that is not the right place for you to lead. And it's not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just not the right place. You're not the right fit for that type of company. But that's where people do start changing who they are in each room. I mean, it becomes political. Why would I switch to a monster company, be a different person? Because I want to be who they want and see so I could keep my job, keep my ego, keep the money intact, keep everything. But then you start to question, well, who are you? Because then some team may think you're this. Another team may think you're this. The board may be like duck or rabbit season. And then it doesn't doesn't do anybody any good. I think you got to, like you said, stay to your ethos and to your core of who you are. And be better at it so you have a better team working together. Because it doesn't matter. And I always say when it comes to branding, you can have a bunch of different outlets, different channels. Everybody has a different message, but the core ethos of your brand has to be consistent across the board. Right. And and my belief is that when you are consistent and authentic enough, that the rooms that you belong in will come to you. And, and I think that is such a crucial piece of information. And, and you alluded to because I mentioned it to you right before we started recording, you know, I I was I was accepted to to speak at the Sherm annual convention in, in Vegas in June, and there's a space that I wouldn't even consider, you know, and, I, and I'm fortunate to have built some relationships in the last six months with people that are very highly regarded within the HR world, like really throughout the world, and and they were very encouraging, like this and this is a conference that someone like you with your message needs to be speaking at, and I would never have considered it had I not consistently shown up as my authentic self. And they saw that and they said, listen, the space that is the human resources community is crying out for some of the concepts that you provide in the work that you do right now. And, and the whole presentation that I'm going to be doing is, is about how do you realize the potential of both your individual and your teams through something that I've coined competitive collaboration, which again, I, I speak to in the book, but competitive collaboration at the heart of it is a willingness to put in what it is you want to get out. And, and, and that in the corporate world is a very tricky topic because, well, wait a second, you're telling me that 
you know, we got to work together here and we're we're, going to, we're going to both benefit. But if we both benefit, doesn't that mean that in a way I'm benefiting less because I'm having to give up some of the benefit, you know, I I don't get to benefit everything myself. And then it's just like, well, that's, that's a tough thing to coach to. It's a tough thing to incorporate within a culture, but it's something that I believe in and I know is possible because I've done it through both my time in sport and now within business. Like I've seen those cultures, I've I've created those cultures. And so for me, I'm excited to talk about that in Vegas. But again, that room came to me and I was encouraged to go into it because I was showing up as my authentic self consistently. But see, I, so I told you before we got on the show, I love that they asked you because I told you when you said you weren't sure. And I said, yes, dude, this is perfect for you. <laughs> resources there to make sure the humans have the right resources, the right support, the right things to grow and to improve and move the company forward. So to me, I think actually of all the speaker opportunities across the board, this is probably one of the best ones for you because you're going to the heart of what drives the growth of a company from a human element. So I actually think it's perfect for you, but I, I want to like pivot a little bit to what you said a little a few minutes ago about how do you transition, right? Look inward, compete against others, my benefiting myself. I don't want to give up benefits for myself, but isn't that true to being an athlete when you're coaching athletes or anybody, I have to be a good leader, but if I can't also be a good team player, I can't lead. If I can't be part of the team, okay, I'm just going to pick on Tom Brady because I think I always go to football, try to think (laughs) of a good NBA player. There's so many, but if you can't be a good team player, you can't lead a team. You can't MVP. You can't say both. You cannot lead if you've never been part of the team. And if you've always been a leader in the past 15, 20 years, and you go and you move into a bigger companies, better divisions, you got to step back and say, I'm leading, but I maybe need to step back and be more of a team player to be a better CEO and leader right now. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of trip up. Or, well, no, I'm a CEO. I have teams to do it. Well, no, you've got to understand, you need to know your team, how to lead, how to be part of that team to lead it. And I feel like sometimes we do need to roll up our sleeves. We need to do the grunt work, the stupid stuff that we have layers of people doing for us because we're so reliant on people doing it for us. We can't do it on our own because so much has changed. So I think you do need to step back the introspective mm-hmm. of who you are. Are you a good leader? Because you're not a good team player anymore. So you forgot what that is like. And I feel like the benefit of, I'm not giving up any to give you more. I am need to be part of your team so I can lead when I walk away from the team. And I feel like that's an important part of career competitiveness in general. No doubt. And, and, and it's a, and, and I, I encourage anyone who any any leaders, any CEOs out there that feel that disconnect between them and in a leadership role and, and being a team player, I encourage you to reach out to me because you know a lot of my executive coaching it starts in that space. Uh, a CEO comes to me and says, "Listen, I, I can't remember the last time a member of my team brought something to me." You know, so clearly there is a disconnect between the the CEO's desire to obtain information and the willingness of those that they're leading to provide information. So that is a bridge that needs to be recreated, reestablished in some way, shape or form. And it's a lonely place for CEO when you find yourself sat there wondering, why do I not feel like I'm part, I'm running the team? Yeah. Somehow I don't feel like I'm part of the team. Like how can that possibly be the case? And it happens so often because understandably so, CEOs got 
ton of work to do. They've got lots of things to be thinking about. So that ability just to simply stop sometimes and check in and make sure like, hey, am I am I getting like five steps down the road and forgetting that I didn't bring anybody with me? Because that's possible within leadership and it's very consistent. And like I said, part of the work that I do as an executive coach today is is working with leaders on that very thing is like isolation is a real part of leadership. It's okay. It's understandable. It happens, but it's incredibly fixable with the right. And, and again, I even touched on it earlier with the empathetic side of things. Like it's one thing that maybe you occasionally put yourself back in your team's shoes. But if you're just putting yourself in their shoes for a moment and saying like, hey guys, I get it. I understand. And then you're just going right back to your office and carrying on with your merry way. It's not really working. Like you got to come out of their shoes, get back in your shoes and then start making some team-based decisions in your position as a leader. And as we're talking, I, I can see the reflection of my, my painting I have on the wall of Kobe and, you know, Kobe Bryant, my favorite athlete of all time. And for him, like his story is as an athlete is exactly that is a guy that relied on talent, did it his own way until he was on his own as the talent on the team. And then it took him about five years to realize like, man, I can't do this on my own. I, I need a squad. I need a team. And I need to be the catalyst for how that comes together. I cannot be the reason why we don't have a team. I have to be the reason why we do have a team. Yeah. And that's the beauty of his story is he figured that out. It came beautifully in the back end of his career. And then just as it started to kick in in, in, in life as well, the saddest thing in the world happened. You know, So for, yeah. for, for me, I, I think that story of him as an athlete is the closest thing we can get to really showing the example of, Hey, yeah, you can win by yourself for a little while, but it doesn't last. And at some point you have to be a team player and figure out how to actually close that bridge. And then, which has also made him a great leader towards the end. But I, I feel like there is isolate. I mean, being at the top is lonely. I feel like you can't talk to anyone. I mean, anybody VP or below, because when you have stress, you need to bounce things off of somebody. You all need a team of stronger advisors out of your circle who are not in your company that you can feel safe talking to, getting advice from. So I do feel like there is isolation in leadership, no matter how big or small, because there, you, there's only certain people you could or should be venting, talking to about issues, problems, teams, people. How do I handle this? How do I handle that? And unfortunately, you can't bring that inside the company. So you have to find that team outside the company to bounce that off of. And I do think that's super important with people as well. And, you know, I do agree with you on all of this. I mean, it is hard to lead. It is important to understand how to be a team player. I feel like the bigger the company, the harder it is. If anybody within your company, if you cannot step in to do their job, I'm not, and I'm not saying like I got a team in who works for me. I can't do some of the stuff they do. I, I was to hire people who are better than I am at certain things to become very client facing PR firm to our clients. But at the same time, I could do enough to know what they do, who they are as a team player. I may screw some up in some area. Like, Hey, I took care of this, but you need to fix it. But I need to know what every aspect is. And I think it's hard, the bigger the company, you're not going to ever know ups and downs, but to your point, you got to kind of know Everything you've got to always make an effort to be present, no matter high up or how low they are on the totem pole in your company. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you don't take that time personally, 
to return phone calls, return emails. I don't care if it's somebody you're friends with, an advisor with, somebody, whatever, if anybody reaches out to you that you have any respect for who values you and your time. If you can't value their time the way they value yours, then you do need to honestly, hey, this laws of attraction, no matter what, this isn't going to work, but you still have to be present and respect that person does. If I value your time, I expect you to value mine. If you can't play mine the same way, then I got to take a look at, I'm not going to change to be somebody you want me to be in each room to your point. I just got which rooms I belong in and which rooms wish you well, but this is a suck of my time. If there's not a mutual respect and a value of time. And I think that goes back to my bruise and battered brand syndrome. If that's who you are personally, there's a good chance that's who you are in business. You just may not want to admit it or your ego is too big or you or you're just you're just flat out being an ass i don't know whatever it is but and vice versa if that's how i'm treating people because i always look at okay this is going to be so diverted off topic when you're dating somebody relationship in the very beginning i always you look at how they treat waiters how they treat everybody right you're on a date and somebody's super rude and mean to a waiter or a waitress i would look at that even if it's a potential client whatever i would be like god if that's how you treat somebody like that that to me is indication of how you are in business and how you treat other people so i do think it goes to owning your leadership like like owning your place in your own storyline your own journey your own story is you are the hero of your own journey. You need to be the hero of your own life in general. If you cannot say that and you don't, you can't be your own hero of your own story and journey, you got to take a good look at maybe I do need to step back. Maybe I do need to talk to somebody, get, you know, people like you, clear competition, how to be better at it. But I think this goes beyond just being inside an office setting with somebody. I think if you do are different personally, yeah, I'm going to question if you're an asshole personally, I'm going to question, are you really somebody I want to work with? And are you good inside an mm. office or a boardroom? Because you are who you are. Right. And, and part of that for me is, is my ability to show up and be present with people. And I, I actually scare some people at times in terms of what I remember from, you know, previous conversations and certain words that people like to use when they talk. And I love paying attention to those details and individuals. And, and, and for me, that's my way of showing like, hey, I'm listening to you. I'm listening to you. I've showed up here today. I'm excited to be here. And you have my undivided attention during the time that we're sharing. And, and for me, that's part of going back to my, my core values is, is that availability and, and engagement. It's like, it's one thing to say that, hey, yeah, you know, I'm available. You know, wh- when do you want to talk? But then to actually be engaged throughout that availability is a whole nother part of the availability, you know? And then so for me, that's what I like about those elements of who I am and who I strive to be. And it goes back again to this career competitive notion is it's not easy to do that. And when I say these sort of things, I'm I'm just telling anyone, listen, I'm not perfect at it. Holy crap. I am not perfect at it. I got so much, I'm always working on it. And sometimes I'm not as present as I would like to be. And sometimes I don't remember things from certain conversations that I wish I'd remembered. But at the same time, I'm striving. I'm striving to do it. I'm focused on it. It's a big part of who I'm trying to become. And, and that's the competitive element that I think we can all strive towards is just keep pushing ourselves to be better every, each and every day. I think it's be present. So this is a funny, I'm going to quote 
Scott O'Neill on this again. You know, Scott's book, Be Where Your Feet Are. You've got to be present. You've got to be where your feet are. I know it's hard. I know we all make mistakes, but we just have you've got to be present as much as we can. And, and like you said, remembering parts of something, any conversation. But what, you know, I always tell my clients for some reason, I've been telling them this a lot more normally than like way more in the past few weeks than I normally do. Listen with the intent to understand, not to respond. Mm-hmm. That tells me you're being present. If you're hearing me because you're understanding where I'm coming from before you have your next comment, make your next move, you're being present because you're mm-hmm. understanding me. You're hearing me and listening to understand what I'm saying, not just to respond. And I do think that's a whole other podcast. Well, that's that's the, po- the the name of that podcast can be Marriage 101 because because for me it's like that's like you learn that lesson real quick when you're a coach and you're married to someone that's not looking for a coach and they just want to be heard and understood you better not try and coach them and and so for me I I learned that lesson the hard way when my my wife and I first started dating and I'm just like oh well wait you're bringing this up for me just to just to listen to you and understand okay got it okay I won't. I won't try and coach you anymore. <laughs> so, but, but, but I think but like it goes back to what we're talking about who you are. Like this, right. like, like it's it's you are your brand and your company. So, you gotta be careful. Like I just maybe we need to talk about bruising and battered brands on another show. Um we're running out of time. But I, I do love this. So uh, the book is out. So right now anybody can find you at careercompetitor.com. Right. Yep. And what I'll say is this as well. You can get the book on Amazon, but I would love for you to Or the website. They can go on your website. Or the website. And I will say that if you you go to the website, I'll do you one better. Uh, I don't have this set up yet, but how about you just go ahead, email me, tell me that you heard me on this podcast. And what I'll do is I'll not only send you a copy of the book, I'll knock off 25% of the price of the book too. And I'll I'll give you a nice personal note in there as well. And and, and who knows, maybe we can fall into each other's network at the same time. So I'd love to do something like that. So if you're hearing this, Tell me how much you... What is, uh, what's you know. the best email? What's the best email? Because I know, I mean, you know, like all yeah. podcasts. Steve at careercompetitor.com. Oh, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's as easy as it gets right there. Steve <laughs> at careercompetitor.com. So just hit me up. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I'll shoot you a copy of my book and um, we'll get to talking that way too. So. Now, I love it. I mean, I know we're always, you know, a little delay out when we do our seasons and stuff. And we're in season nine right now. I think we're still releasing season eight, but we're going to post this. We're going to help you out. We're going to make sure people email you and we drop is going to drop with a something where they get the book. They've heard you. But I mean, I think this is amazing. I'm super excited you're speaking in Vegas in Mm -hmm. June. I'm excited to finish reading the book. But you're about to get to the best part because you are in it. You're in it. Wait, tell me what chapter. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ruin the surprise. You can figure it out on your own. Read the book. Wait, that's not fair. Okay, wait, wait. If I'm in your book, I am so privileged. Like, because I absolutely adore you. Right. Can we come back on the podcast again once I finish the second part? Because I mean, I'm just Do it. not gone to that chapter yet. Because well, you, you got to tell me if you like it first. You might not well, even I like it. I got the so. book. Remember, like, yeah. I got your book like right after I moved. Remember, right. after I yep. came. I remember. I still, you've you've given me all the reasons why you haven't read it already. I, I I've know, heard all of them. So you know, really funny. I haven't read any book. I have not read a book in four months. Like I know as long as, as, long as mine's as long as mine's the next book that you're trying to read, no, no, I'll take like, that. Like, I'll I'm, take I'm, that. I'm sort of reading your book. Right, right. And then I haven't read a book since then. I've even finished yours. It's just been so. You know what it is? And this is like really bad. Okay, talk about example bad leadership and being a bad friend. Because I was so exhausted from getting settled, the traveling, the business. I just, I just can't read anymore. I, I need to read. I need to finish reading your book. 
Because one, I didn't know that. Two, now I hate that you told me that, but it's a good thing because I'm going to go read the book. But like, I've not read any book. Like, you're the only one I'm on. People say, oh, I read four or five books a week, a month. I switch on and off every night. I, I my mental, my brain, I need one book till I'm done. So I get to the next. I can't do the multiple book thing. A one book at a time, girl. I'm going to go finish your book. When I finish your book, can we get you back on the show to discuss? Of course, it? and we'll 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 do a full. Because I want to ask you. I want to talk to you about certain parts of your book and certain sure. things you mentioned, but I didn't finish reading it, so I didn't want to dig in to how everybody had an inspiration impact on you. Okay, well, sorry, chapter two, chapter three, can't discuss. I didn't want to do that to you, respect. I got to get through the whole book because I'm already thinking, okay, I have questions of so far, but I I literally have got to get through this book. Here's the hope then is that, you know, people listen to this episode, they go buy the book and then we can do like a little book review and everyone can have their own little book while they're going along. I think we're going to have to get back on the show. I think we're going to have to get back on because I have to finish the book so I can break it down with you live. Because every time I have a conversation, whether it's 20 minutes to say hi, to see how you're doing, I'm start laughing like, oh my God, that's good content for our show. It's great content. It's I great think content. I think we did the first time, not the first time, the second time, first time we doubled down. It was so funny. We spent an hour chatting. Neither of us can't record. Then we did one podcast and then we doubled down and put the same show at the same time on both shows. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to double down on our next podcast and we're going to discuss the book, break it down, and then we'll just tag team it out. How's that? I love it. I love it. Love it. Yep. But I am I'm going to... But I'm going to also see you as a guest spot on one of my other podcasts coming up soon. Oh, bring it uh, on. I look forward I'm going to, to have, it. I'm going to have you, well, because I'm releasing you first. So it's perfect. I'm going to have you crash David Nurse's podcast with me. <laughs> so wait, for now he's going to probably see this one first and make a way in a second. That makes sense. We'll see. Yeah, we'll have some fun with that. So good. Happy. I love talking to you, honestly. Mm-hmm. So happy your book came out and you're like moving forward. Like I think we met a, last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. It's I've loved getting to know you and 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 having you in my space, and uh, I love that I I continue to to drop back into your world and and you. I love it. You're allowed to drop in anytime. I just way <sighs> to drop in on podcast, but I do love. I love the books out. I love because you've evolved as a person since I've met you. Like you mm-hmm. said, into the coaching, the competitive improving yourself as a leader like i like i watched you kind of grow over the past year with this book and i absolutely love it so i, I that. want us to do well for you okay so i know i'm going to talk to you again in a month i'm going to read the book of course everybody's got to go to um career competitor steve at careercompetitor.com read the book get some coaching do it it's gonna be awesome so yeah, i'm so glad you came on today i'm so glad i came on too i appreciate you as always it was Awesome. Always talking to you. This is Sarah Miller with Steve Miller and with everybody on the Axis Effect next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Axis Effect podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Axis Effect podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit theaxiseffect.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.